0: Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and if you haven't been listening to this show for a while, you know that I live in Rome and that I have for the past almost 17 years after moving here from the United States. Last week on the show, we debated terminology, specifically the labels of expat versus immigrant. If you haven't listened to that show, I highly recommend going back and listening to it before continuing on to today's show. So in that episode, we ask, what am I at this point? (laughs) Am I an expat still, or am I an immigrant, or am I something else altogether? I mean, especially now that I've had my Italian citizenship, I have to start wondering why I'm still calling myself an expat. So like I said, if you haven't, we talk about that more on last week's episode. But today, we thought it would be fun and interesting to listen back to a similar discussion that we had way back in may of 2015 on that episode katie and i debated the same labels that we debated last week and we also had a special guest keith cook who is a longtime friend of the show and a serial expat himself who joined in to talk about his point of view on the expat versus immigrant debate i hope you'll enjoy this peek back into the past
1: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we tackle a article. How did we get this article? Did one of our listeners send this to us? I think so. Uh, You sent it to me, so I don't know where you got it. Well, somebody sent it to me. Anyway, it's an article... That's talking about who is an expat and what is an expat. And also, what is the difference between an expat
2: and an immigrant?
1: Yes. And we decided that that was a worthy topic to take up on this podcast.
2: As an expat, as a long-term expat, it's something that I've thought about a lot, actually. And I've thought, you know, asked myself the question, am I an expat or am I an
1: immigrant? So this article is written by the editor of Silicon Africa. He's also a social activist for Africa Resistance. And basically, the argument in the article is that unless you're a Western white person going to work abroad, you are not considered an expat. So in his definition, an expat is solely exclusively something for white people and that everybody else, even if they're going to work abroad, uh, would be considered an immigrant. So he says that Africans are immigrants, Arabs are immigrants, Asians are immigrants, However, Europeans are expats because they can't be at the same level as other ethnicities. They are superior. That's what he writes in the article.
2: Now, he's saying they're considered a superior, I assume. He's not actually saying they are superior. He's saying in, in a facetious way that they are, they are conceived and considered a superior, correct?
1: Yes. I don't know exactly what his intention was, but that the world at large, I guess, treats well-off... Western European descent people in a different way.
2: I'm not going to argue with that general idea, but I do think that in my personal opinion, it has much more to do about being well-off
1: and nationality
2: as opposed to ethnicity.
1: I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Maybe we should even debate whether or not you're uh, an immigrant rather than an expat. But before we get to that, I would like to introduce into this discussion Keith Cook, who is a listener to this podcast. Uh, He's a person I met through KOW Public Radio, which is where I worked before going abroad in Rome. And uh, he's been keeping in touch with me and with us regularly throughout the evolution of this show, sharing his thoughts. And so I threw this article to him. He's an African-American man, so I thought he might want to weigh in. He's been an expat in a lot of different locations. He was in the UK twice, once in London and once in the north. He's been in South Africa two times, once in Johannesburg, and then once in a really small refining town that's two to three hours east of Johannesburg. He's lived in the Netherlands and he's lived in Japan. Wow. Yeah. He works as a management consultant, so he gets sent all over the place. I asked him where he spent the longest period of time, and he said that the longest part was in South Africa, which was also one of his favorite places that he lived. And since he's an African-American man, I asked him if he enjoyed being in the majority for a change while he was living in South Africa, rather than in the minority, as he always would be in the United States.
3: South Africa was amazing and a lot of fun and very interesting for a number of different reasons. I was an African American male working there for a company. The project was just a few years after the end of apartheid, and they were losing the government subsidy that they used to have under the previous government. And so they were trying to make a number of changes. And I was actually very convenient for them because I was of the other race, but also not local. And so I didn't come with a lot of preconceived notions but as a result, I was working mostly with the, uh, the executive team and I didn't spend a lot of time working with most of the workers on the plant. So while I was there, I was still the minority in a lot of my day-to-day business interactions, even though I was, when I went out on the streets into town, it, things quickly reversed. Also, it was very different at that time. There were a number of other black Africans coming into South Africa. There were a lot of black Americans coming down to, it wasn't always a welcoming, welcome home, brother, you're come back to the motherland. It's, if I was going out in fancy restaurant, I'm still the only blackface sitting there in the restaurant, but all the people serving were black. There's still sort of a, sometimes people say, well, it's good to see one of us in the table. And sometimes it's a, hmm, we have the struggle and you come here.
1: Let's talk about this article. Now, I have no idea how to pronounce the author's name that's a k by the way my handwriting is terrible i was writing on a bumpy desk but what would be your guess on how to pronounce
3: that i wouldn't mawana ramake but that is me just guessing i'm not sure i can tell that he was not most likely he wasn't from south africa was he
1: probably not i would say i did write to him and asked him if he would be on the show <laughs> No, he couldn't have been in South Africa because he said wherever he was, it was very hard to get a good Skype connection. Okay. He, declined he declined to come slightly. on. Yes. So instead, I'm going to talk to you about it. So he wrote an article that ended up on the Huffington Post and got him a lot of attention that was basically going after the question, expat versus immigrant. Mm-hmm. He looked up at, on Wikipedia and he defined expat as a person temporarily or permanently residing in a country other than that of the person's upbringing. But in the article, he goes on to say that in his opinion, being an expat is exclusively something for a Western white person and that everybody else is an immigrant regardless.
3: I'd say there's, there, uh, there's probably a lot to that. I mean, a lot of that is how people are referred to in the, in the media, and that probably is the case. I don't think it is definitely one size fits all differentiation.
1: He said the immigrant is a term of set aside for, in his quote, inferior races, is how he put it.
3: Okay. Well, I'll take it into two parts. First off, the temporary and permanently. First off, when I've ever thought of the term expat or expatriate, I've always thought of a person who is living someplace with the intention or the desire to return home. For example, when I was working overseas, I was definitely an expat because I had expat visa, I had expat privileges, I was being paid in the U.S. and working overseas. I had expenses being covered for living expenses. So I definitely was an expat businessman, just like the other white American, white British, white European people I was working with in all those different countries. And the other type of person I think of when I hear that term is I think of people who may be living long-term out of the country, but not of their choosing, either political dissidents, uh, a lot of artists, writers, intellectuals, including people who were not white. So a lot of black artists and musicians in the 20s and 30s went to Europe because they wanted to get out of Jim Crow South. So Josephine Baker, James Baldwin, same in the 50s and 60s. A lot of people were expat artists. And then I also think of people who are exiled because they were part of the former government. So I think a a lot of times you might have an expatriate, ex-warlord general president from some country in the third world who might be viewed as an expat. So I usually think of that and I think when I think of migrants or immigrants, I usually think of them as a group as opposed to the individuals. And I usually think of them as wanting to leave and wanting to bring the rest of the family with them eventually.
1: So an intention to stay. An intention
3: to stay if they can. Then you might ask how that does that differ from refugee and that's a, a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah.
1: And it also brings up the question of, you've listened to The Bittersweet Life almost every episode, probably. What would you say that Tiffany is? Saying that she went there with the intention to stay, not knowing if she could.
3: I would say, when I first started listening to the series, I definitely thought you were an expat, and I wasn't sure about Tiffany. And my first thought was that Tiffany was was an immigrant. That was my first thought. Sorry, Tiffany.
1: I should mention that if you're hearing a banging sound in the background, that, that is the pigeon that has taken up residence in my chimney. And I don't know what to do about it.
3: <laughs> but it's keeping us company and it's probably reacting to the crow episode. <laughs>
1: Very much so. so. So you would say that Tiffany is an immigrant?
3: That's what I would say because based on my definition that I was just saying, I hear Tiffany talking about, I mean, number one, she's married. Now, from recent episode, I know you're uh, starting to starting a family. You're talking about how you're going to have the children learn languages there. You've, I don't know if she's got Italian citizenship yet or not.
1: No, I believe almost.
3: Almost. So once you're in the process of getting citizenship, that to me is the dividing line. If you get to citizenship in another country, then you have emigrated from here and immigrated there. But I often hear on some episodes saying, well, maybe there's another country we were thinking about moving to some other spot in France and Spain. So that's it's, it's less of a rootedness in Rome and the possibility of just moving some other places. I have a lot of friends that I worked with in Sa- South Africa who've since left. Most of the black professionals that I work with in South Africa stayed in South Africa. Most of the white professionals I knew from South Africa have since moved from there. And I've contacted a few to ask them what they consider themselves. And there's, it's a bit of a mix. Some of them are, are expats because they do frequently go back and forth. Some of them have gone to multiple countries along the way. Immigrant doesn't work because they didn't stay in the first, second or third country that they went to.
1: When you said, Tiffany, you're an immigrant, you apologized. So would you say that there is some sort of like elitist thing going on about being an expat versus being an immigrant?
3: I was saying apologize because I think Tiffany still thinks of herself as an expat. I think that's true. I don't have any uh, problem with the term immigrant because I actually think that immigration and immigrants in general very much strengthen and benefit the countries that they come to. I think uh, one of the challenges that we have here in the U.S. is a lot of times people, first, second, or third generation, after they've lived here, aren't doing as well as those first-generation immigrants those who've come with a with a purpose with a mission with a comparison of how things were in their home country and with less ties our country is very promising to immigrants more so than it is a lot of times to native-born people
1: have you given any thought to this the migrant versus refugee question
3: I have my own uh, versions of each of those terms as well. If you were driven out by war and circumstances, then I think a lot of times that that's when you are a refugee. If you are leaving because there's better economic opportunity that you see and you're trying to get to, which is still a valid reason to do it, then in that case, you've chosen to see a better opportunity. It's all gray. (laughs) None of these are, but, but they're, all that being said, the second part of the original question, is there a racial component of that? And the answer is yes. When they had the uh, pictures of the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, and people would show pictures of you know two different people, both of which who had a loaf of bread and you know a bag of diapers, one was you know a survivor, another one was a looter. Our media, our cultural lenses definitely do take a look at different circumstances and put different labels on them.
1: Yeah, because when you get into the the migrant versus refugee versus expat immigrant thing, I mean, migrants could just as easily be immigrants.
3: People are a little of each. A lot of the people who are, may have left their home country and sub-Saharan Africa to go to Libya because they were seeking a better economic opportunity. And now that they're in Libya and they're actually being the victims of violence there, suddenly they're refugees. So it's not as if they were one the whole time. They've, they've actually become a little bit of each.
1: Okay. I'm going to ask you one more question, which you probably, well, you can just take a guess at. Why do you think this young man wrote this article? What was his point?
3: My guess would be that just seeing two situations like I was giving the example of the, the looter situation where you have two very similar stories that are treated very differently. You look for what's different in this story. And if the only thing that you can see is different is the race, the nationality, then it, and you see that as a pattern over and over and over again it could still be a from a racial point of view that people see that individual and say, aha, refugee or immigrant or migrant or whatever and not expat. And I definitely know that when I was traveling I got I had the the leverage of a wallet full of dollars and an American passport that gave me certain privileges that would only happen after I opened my mouth or explained my circumstances. It wouldn't necessarily a crew if I was just walking down the streets. So there was often situations where I, I would change status.
1: I mean, that could be a whole other factor is that if you're coming from a richer country, mm-hmm. you're more likely to be an expat.
3: Yes, definitely. Uh, a lot of people that I know who were black expats that I work with were from the U S were from the UK or were from very well off, families in other African countries who had moved to South Africa or actually moved to some places in Europe and were working there as well.
1: So that's Keith Cook. He's a management consultant, frequent expat and regular listener to this program, weighing in on his opinion of this article. Katie here. One thing I've done a lot during the last year of lockdown and pandemic is play games. And one of the favorites is called Love Letter. Derek and I played it a lot. In Love Letter, a princess is looking for a partner and confidant to help her with her royal duties when she assumes the throne. Your job is to prove your worth and gain her trust by enlisting friends and family of the princess to carry a letter of intent to her. Can you earn the princess's trust and become her confidant? (laughs) You'll find out when you play. Love Letter is simple. You draw a card and play a card on your turn, using the character's abilities on the card to stay in the round and get your letter closer to the princess. This game's great for two to six players, and it's quick. It plays in about 20 minutes, and it fits in your pocket so you can take it with you anywhere. Love Letter is appropriate for ages 10 and up, and it's available for $11.99 through Zmangames.com. You can also find it at Target or your local game store. Back to the show. So, what did you think, Tiffany?
2: I agreed more with what Keith had to say than with what the article had to say, quite frankly. I definitely think the guy who wrote the article, whose name I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, that he definitely was onto something and had some interesting thoughts, and certainly is coming from a place of much more experience than I come from. But from my personal experiences and having a lot of expat friends, and I haven't been an expat in a place like Hong Kong in such an international place, but being an expat in Rome, I've seen foreign residents, let's say, to not use either word, from many different countries and also from a couple of different races at least. I think that the difference comes less with the actual race of a person, and more with their socioeconomic level, and second to that, their actual nationality. Because an African American coming and living in Italy is going to be received in a completely different way, just at the border. An American is going to arrive at the airport, and they're going to go through and show their American passport. So independent of whatever racism an individual person might hold towards them at the end of the day they have an american passport or they might be a canadian or they might be from the uk but if they have that passport that sort of golden western passport they're going to be able to get in if they're coming from east africa they've got a whole as we've seen in the news recently there's a whole different way of getting in the country so It's hard to say it's only about race. I think the nationality is so much more a part of it. And secondly, socioeconomic background. I know an expat who's from the Philippines. And the Philippines is a country that you usually think of as people coming as migrant workers. And she happens to come from a very wealthy family. She's very well-educated and she is an expat. She calls herself an expat. She's part of the expat community. And her race... And even in her case, her country doesn't change that. It's more the fact that she comes from a wealthy background. I'm not saying that that's right either, but to me, those are the two things that make the bigger difference. And I'm not saying that an African-American won't be the victim of racism if he comes to live in Italy or in another country, but it's not the same as being from Africa.
1: How much of it is just self-definition? That's my question. I get what he's saying in the article that maybe by snap judgment, when you think about a group of expats, you're most likely going to think of a a room full of white Europeans. I get that. What would the what would the clip art be? (laughs) You know, but but also, isn't it just self definition? I like what Keith said about an expat being a person who intends to be there for a period of time. And they may end up living somewhere their whole lives away from the country that they were born in. But they may somehow have that intention in their head that... Um, they can always go back. Exactly. I definitely think there's a difference
2: between expats and immigrants. I'm probably going to contradict myself about 20 times during this podcast, but... Part of thinking off the cuff. <laughs> when I think when you're an expat, and it's a very privileged group of people. It's people who have... I'm not saying tons of money. You don't have to be rich to be an expat, but you're having an experience more than anything else. You're moving abroad because you want to expand your horizons and you want to experience a new culture and you want to, maybe you went to France as a student and you couldn't get it out of your head and you want to go back there. It's more of a want. Being an expat, I think, is based on wanting to do it. Whereas being an immigrant, in a lot of cases, it's more based on need. You are living in a situation in which you can't support your family or your family has no future. you see your children growing up without a future and you want to offer them something better. And so you make a huge sacrifice. And maybe you were a respected professional in your country, but you felt that your family had no future there, so you move to another country and you have to take a job that's much below your qualifications that doesn't always happen but that's something that does sometimes happen
1: true and true but if I may interject just a moment yes isn't that exactly the same thing that we've talked about in the past that happens to expats I want to go live in Italy for a year I leave my big secure job as senior producer if I got a job in Italy would probably have to be working under the table or teaching English which is something I'm not qualified for and probably isn't what I want to be doing. It's true, but it's still a
2: choice. And I'm not saying that being an immigrant is not a choice. It's a choice too, but it's a more desperate choice. It's a choice that is driven more by need and a desire for a better life, a better life in a very... Concrete, practical way. Whereas being an expat is more about. I wanna live in Provence. I wanna live in <laughs> Provence. I wanna live under the Tuscan sun. I wanna have coffee on the sidewalk cafe every morning. It's so much more than that. And I'm, I'm kind of pointing uh, the finger right back at myself here. It's more about the experience and a more about. It's more of a lifestyle thing. It's like, oh, I, you know, I, I can't do the nine to five. It's just not for me. So I'm gonna go move abroad so that I can have a fuller, richer life.
1: Which does point to to a more Western, first world type of stability to be able to do something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think people in certain some countries would look at Americans and think, oh my, you know, Americans who move abroad and think these people are crazy. They're leaving this country in which they have so many opportunities in which they're natives to go and, you know, for what? It's a privilege. Like I said, it is a, an absolute privilege that, Westerners have that most other people from other parts of the world wouldn't have. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that the lines can be blurred. And Keith talked about this as well, that the lines definitely do get blurred. I think I'm one of those people because I moved to Rome because I wanted that experience. I loved Italy. I had studied in Italy. I loved the language. I loved the food. I loved the music, the passion. I couldn't get out of my my system. I didn't go to Italy because I thought I would have a better life there.
1: Well, is that why... I mean, Keith, in his interview with me, referred to you as an immigrant.
2: He did. He did. And he thought that I would be offended by that. Um, Not offended, maybe, but he thought that I would... That I see myself more as an expat. I would agree with him that you do. I do, and I don't. I actually... See, I (laughs) kind of want the best of both worlds, maybe. (laughs) Since getting married, really integrating into Italian society... I feel more and more like an immigrant. I definitely feel more and more a part of this society and less a sort of footloose and fancy-free, like, oh, I'm living here today. I'm going to live there tomorrow. I have no roots. You know, the whole expat sort of, I'm just going to go where the wind blows. There's also to be considered all of the expats who just are moved by their job. That's kind of a whole different class of people. But I no longer have that feeling of, okay, whatever, this isn't working out. I'm going to move on. I have so much more invested now in my life here, and I'm going to have an Italian child, which is an even deeper
1: level, and I'm going to have Italian citizenship
2: soon-ish.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's my question. It's just two words, right? Immigrant and expat, or expatriate. But there's a distinct enough difference in those two words in your mind that you don't want to necessarily say that you're an immigrant. So what is that differentiation, The thing that stops me from calling myself an immigrant isn't that I
2: would be offended by that label at all. It's more that I would almost feel like I'm offending the people who really had to give up and sacrifice and who've really had to struggle to live here or to live in any other country. And I've had it much easier simply because I'm from the West and I have a good education and I'm white, let's be honest. It's been much easier for me for all of those reasons. If I don't call myself an immigrant, it's to avoid trying to make myself sound like I've had to struggle as much as some of those people have.
1: Right. So like an expat does come with it sort of a luxurious connotation.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I can't deny that I've had privileges that come along with my background. However, I also don't really identify anymore with a lot of the expat scene. At least in Rome. What is the expat scene? Well, you know, I meet a lot of expats who don't speak Italian, who don't have any Italian friends or even really acquaintances, who never spend time with Italians, who have nothing invested in this country, you know, who just don't care to make this their home. And that's fine. They can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's not what I'm going through. That's not what I'm doing. And so for me to lump myself together with all of those types of expats is not quite right either.
1: But it does have something to do with race also.
2: I, like I said, I think it's more about being from a Western, let's say a first world country. I have an African-Canadian friend and uh, an African-American acquaintance who are both expats. They don't, they're not immigrants,
1: period. It's a little bit of a mind boggling topic. <laughs> it's like any topic when you talk about language and the words that we use because we use them. I mean, in all the news stories that are going on right now, with the boats capsizing outside of Italy, all those people dying, that when the media decides to report on it, half the time they're calling them migrants, which is what they were calling them in the last case. And then when I was spending the year in Rome, they were calling them refugees or immigrants. So how did they decide what to call them. Why are they migrants now, refugees then, immigrants this time, blah, 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 blah. And I think Keith touches on that because refugee kind of implies that you're fleeing from war or something terrible. But I mean, as a person who's worked in the media, these are questions that we ask, how do you talk about something? Because you want to be very careful to not talk about things in a stereotypical way because it's self perpetuating you just get used to telling certain stories in certain ways so if you're using always like the shorthand of at-risk youth let's say it's an easy thing to throw but it doesn't tell a whole picture so you have to decide is that appropriate in this case or I mean I don't think I'm saying it very well or it's sort of like my least favorite term ever thanks to my father pointing it out that you see everywhere in the media is the term each and every, each and every time, each and every person, each and every this, each and every that. That just came about because it kept being used over and over and over again in the media and in speeches. And now people can't just say each and they can't just say every. They say each and every, but each and every in its essence is redundant. Both of them mean the same thing. So, I mean, that's not so much about, like, whether or not you you gravitate to migrant or immigrant, but it's still one of those kind of gut things where you just use it just because.
2: You know, I don't even know, and I'm going to risk sounding really ignorant right now. Please do. I don't even necessarily know what the difference is, like, the technical difference between an immigrant and a migrant. I mean, I know migrant worker gives you the impression of someone coming across the border to work to then return. Correct?
1: Yes. Do you want me to look it up? I'll look it up. Hang on. Okay, I will read you the Merriam-Webster definition of both. Okay? Okay. Migrant. A person who goes from one place to another, especially to find work. An immigrant. Oops, let's see here. Immigrant. Oh, this is going to get confusing, Tiffany. Uh-oh. A person who migrates to another country, usually for permanent residence. Okay.
2: So there is there is a connection there.
1: The connection is they are saying what you said. The di- well, they're not really saying it, but it seems to imply that the difference is an immigrant is planning to stay and a migrant is not. In the same way it's an expat and an immigrant. In the same way as, yeah, exactly. An expat comes, not necessarily for work,
2: sometimes for work, but not necessarily, and is not planning
1: to stay. I'm going to look up expat now because... In the article, he uses Wikipedia to look it up, but I want to see what the dictionary actually says. Yes. Ah, hmm. That's interesting. On dictionary.com, they define expatriate in their main definition as a verb, not a noun.
2: To leave your country.
1: To banish a person from his or her native country. That's the first one. Second, to withdraw oneself from residence of one's native country. Or three, to withdraw oneself from their allegiance to their country. Wow.
2: I don't think that's the meaning anymore. I think
1: it's changed along the way. So dictionary.com needs to change this page. <laughs> their their noun version is just an expatriated person. Well, we should leave it there because we've gone on for too long. We did not solve a thing, this podcast.
2: Well, we never do. We never do. But we hopefully put subjects out there that, that other people have similar queries about and uh, open up a discussion, which is really what this is all about. Yes, um, but if you are living abroad and you consider yourself either an expat or an immigrant or a migrant, get in touch. We want to hear what it is about your particular situation that makes you feel allegiance to one or more of these terms.
1: It's definitely a discussion I would like other people to weigh in on. at mail.com. And we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Until then, <laughs> I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. The Bittersweet Life is the product of the hard work and passion of your two hosts, who love good conversation and well crafted radio. And we've heard some amazing things from you about what the show has meant to you. Michelle wrote to say that listening to the show has been a cathartic experience. She writes, I feel like a new person. And Mike writes, listening to the podcast from the beginning is like a daily serial from the newspapers. And I look forward to listening. We are so glad that we've added to your life in whatever way we have. And we ask you for a donation in support of this independent, artistic endeavor. Your donation will make this show stronger and better, no matter how big or small, and it will mean the world to us. We are a community, and we rely on each other for conversation and companionship. So please, if you can, visit the donate page at our website and make a gift. Thebittersweetlife.net. We'll send you a real thank you note, and more than that, your gift will be well-used and well-appreciated in a very personal, one-on-one way. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for telling your friends about the show, and thank you for donating what you can to keep the show running. I could never thank you for that enough.